This is Jose Reynoso. Welcome to Urban Awakening, the show where each week I introduce amazing human beings uh, to learn a little bit more about consciousness, uh, psychedelics, plant medicine, high performance, entrepreneurship, and many, many other topics. This week we have Sean McNamara. He's a meditation teacher in Denver, Colorado. His priority is to give people the tools they need to make their own discoveries and empower themselves, and to do so without dogma or similar limitations. Aside from meditation, he shows people how to do telekinesis, lucid dreaming, have an out-of-body experience, and use their psychic ability through remote viewing. Um, this episode is simply amazing. We cover uh, topics uh, anywhere from belonging to a Buddhist community and the dogma associated uh, with belonging to a spiritual community to becoming empowered and rediscovering or remembering uh, ancient wisdom and skills such as lucid dreaming, out-of-body experience, astral traveling, which are very possible and very real for everyone. Uh, such as people myself, uh, I've never practiced this, at least consciously, and that's why this topic and this interview has brought so much uh, light to a topic that I usually only had witnessed or heard of on YouTube videos or documentaries. Um, that also that added... Uh, magic on this uh, interview is that um, I, uh, I decided to embark myself in one of his courses, of Sean courses, and um, I'm going to be documenting on my YouTube channel, Urban Awakening, and also posting on the different podcast platforms my experience with the astral traveling course that he offers. Uh, he's been kind enough to share this program with me so I can experience uh, from a first hand uh, how these practices can enhance my own existence in this world. And um, yeah, I'm going to leave you with an interview. I hope you enjoy. Uh, please share any feedback, any comments. Uh, you can send them to uh, josereynoso.r at gmail.com or you can go to samadhi journeys.com and then send us an email through that platform if you want to know uh, about our recent retreats uh, we're finishing our season in Europe we have our last uh, retreat at least official retreat in a couple weeks and then we'll be heading to Sri Lanka to do our last three retreats before heading back to Mexico and North America Canada as always, if you like the podcast, if you want to support the podcast, subscribe, follow, comment, and share the love. You will be able to find this podcast in Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor FM, and many, many, even Shoutcast, many other platforms. Keep sharing the love, share the light, but most importantly, share your own light. Blessings, love, and stay tuned. Welcome, Shin. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you over, and um, thank you for making some time today 
I'm really excited to cover some uh, amazing topics such as remote viewing, telekinesis, astral traveling, out-of-body experience, and meditation and your long uh, uh, passion for these topics. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to share with you and, and get into this stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, you're based in Denver, that's right? Mm-hmm, Denver, Colorado. Yeah, beautiful mm -hmm. place. And it's, it's becoming one of the more spiritual parts of the country in the United States. I think just because of the population growth and, and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are asking these questions. So. Yeah, I was actually going to mention that uh, I've been uh, called to go to Denver and Boulder, that whole area. Many of amazing products that I love and follow are born in Colorado. And I've heard mm -hmm. from many California friends that they're moving uh, to Colorado because they feel too much pressure in their, in their home state. And they feel that Colorado is like, it's a, it's a hub. Uh-huh, definitely. Yeah, come. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, is that where you're originally from? That's where you grew up? No, I grew up in Asia. I was born in the United States but yeah. because of my father's job. We moved around a lot. So I, most of my childhood was in the Philippines. Oh, wow. And then we were in Hong Kong for a couple of years and then down in Brazil for a couple of years. So, and growing up, we traveled to a lot of other countries. So I was exposed to a lot of different spiritual traditions and a lot of different cultures. And so, which I think is a key component to my being open to studying different things. That I just mm -hmm. knew that the world is a really big place and people have a lot of wisdom that shows up in different forms. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, uh, whereabouts in Philippines do you do you spend some time? Uh, I spent about seven years in Manila, in the capital. Oh, yeah, it's, so it's a crazy city. I read uh -huh. when I, I I lived a bit in Palawan, and uh, uh -huh. and uh, every time I had to go to Manila, I was like, I, it, I'm from Mexico City. I'm from Mexico City originally, and yeah. I can tell you that Manila is like definitely by far <laughs> way worse, at least what I've experienced. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's an intense place. Yeah, yeah, but it's uh, really interesting to know that you had that like multicultural or multi spiritual uh, perspective on life, uh, because definitely it it, uh, it gave you a different perspective uh, for your mm -hmm. for what you're doing now. Uh, mm -hmm. How were your parents? Uh, how was growing up with your parents? Were they like spiritually oriented? Uh, they were open minded to your curiosity. They were pretty. Pretty open-minded. They were Catholic, so my my family's Catholic. So mm -hmm. and they were very strong, devout Catholics. So we went to church every Sunday and and did the mass and everything. But once in a while, they would be they would show a little bit of openness. For example, when we moved to Brazil, we moved to Rio de Janeiro, and soon after moving there, we were driving up along the beach on the coastline, mm -hmm. and one night we saw these uh, torches on the beach. So we parked the car. And we all went together as a family and saw this circle of people on the beach at night with these torches. And they invited us to come stand in their circle. And it was actually, um, oh, what's the name of that tradition? I forget, but like a Brazilian native tradition. I don't want to call it, it's not witchcraft, but it's a mixture of African spirituality and Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And they were basically doing a mediumship circle because there was an opening in the circle. My father went to stand there. And then the priest of the circle said, no, no, don't stand there because so-and-so is standing. Somebody's spirit was standing in that oh, spot, wow. you know? So it's just interesting that we find ourselves in these weird situations. 
deathbed, instead of my parents saying, no, don't go there. You know, they were just a little bit curious and willing to, to check things out. And, um, you know, when we were living in Asia, we traveled to uh, Thailand and Japan, and we visited the Buddhist temples there. Uh, one time we went to Egypt and we checked out the pyramids there. So I think that because they were exposed to this, these aspects of history, just seeing that humanity is really old and it's mm-hmm. really varied, that they're probably more open than a lot of other very orthodox Catholic mm-hmm. people are. So, yeah. Oh, now, nice. in terms of my development, though, uh, <laughs> when I was in my 20s, I, d- I decided to become a Buddhist practitioner and I took the vows and everything. So I was very serious about Buddhism at the time. Today, my viewpoint is different. But at that time, I told them, and I think it was very, very difficult for them. Very difficult for them. But in time, they grew to accept what, mm. what my path was looking like. And even my, what I would tell them is, I think I'm a better Christian now than before I was a Buddhist. So mm. it's, in a way, I was actually starting to live more of the Christian ideals as a Buddhist than when I was just trying to be a good Catholic. Mm. I just had to find my own way to that. Mm. Today, I wouldn't even call myself a Buddhist anymore, though. Mm. Well, um, I definitely, I'm curious to know um, what happened in your uh, Buddhist uh, development, because I'm very um, always uh, attracted to Buddhism. Uh, I don't know if I consider Mm -hmm. myself Buddhist either, but uh, I've, I've, read my books and I definitely share a lot of the teachings. Uh, what what uh, carried you away from this Buddhist uh, lineage? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's not so much the teachings of, of Buddhism itself, but the way that Buddhism is being presented, at least in the United States these days. So mm-hmm. there was a group that I was part of for many years and um, I ended up leaving because it was clear that this group was really more focused on its organization and making money. And they had everything set up in levels, sort of like a multi-level marketing scheme or something, you know, that they, you know, if you want to reach enlightenment, it's at this level. So first you have to pay a lot of money to go to this retreat and get a certain empowerment and then go to this next level. And so anyone who's very serious about this would have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars over the years sort of climbing the levels and they could do these levels and it didn't even matter what their inter what their inner mm-hmm. experience was like how can you tell if someone is waking up or not yeah yeah well th- these groups i don't know how much they really care what they really seem to care about is you know making a lot of money and putting people through the paces but what are the results at the end and what really happened for me there is that the I started to see a lot of instances of things like sexual abuse and psychological oh. abuse. And I thought, you know, Buddhism itself, the teaching of meditation was what really attracted me to it, that people can look in their own mind, you know, mm-hmm. following the breath or feelings in the body or just looking at their own consciousness directly and gain knowledge. Uh, that there was all this extra stuff that, you know, people say Buddhism is not a religion, but actually you know, depending which tradition you're following, some can be very religious. And it's not just, it's more than, you know, in some groups it's just purely philosophical or it's just a technique to work with your mind. But in others, there's a whole lot of belief systems built into it because of the country that it developed in, the tradition that it developed in. And then sadly, I left that group and I went to another group and the same thing was happening there. The, the teacher ended up just being very controlling and abusive and 
a psychological manipulator. And I thought, what is, <laughs> what is going on here? Is this just the American way with spirituality where it all becomes just a way for people to control mm-hmm. other people, which I think a lot of people would say that that's basically what religion is. It's, mm-hmm. it's a way to help people get along. That's a nice way to put it, or it's social control. That's a more strong way to put it. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, the reason I came to Buddhism in the first place, I haven't even accomplished that. And it wasn't because of any idea of enlightenment or liberation or uh, nirvana or anything like that. It was because when I was a child, I developed a fear of death. Oh, wow. And so the whole reason why I eventually got drawn to Buddhism was to use meditation to see if I could make discoveries about life and death. Mm-hmm. And after going through two spiritual groups where both of the leaders were you know, abusive and they hurt their students or they were just about making money, I had to stop and go, wait a minute, am I even going down the path that I intended to go on? Because as soon as you enter a, somebody's tradition or someone's religion, even if you had your own unique goal or your own journey that you wanted to go on, suddenly you have to put that aside and start studying their teachings and then what they say the ultimate goal is that becomes your goal. Mm-hmm. So maybe I was interested in finding out answers about life and death because of my fear of death. But if you enter Buddhism formally, then it's about really escaping suffering in general at a very fundamental level. Mm-hmm. But what if, what if that wasn't my main concern? What if all I really wanted to know is whether or not some part of me continues after I die? Do I have a spirit? Do I have a soul? Does consciousness have a non-physical quality that continues after the body dies. Mm. That was really driving me. And then somehow I just set that aside because I, my priorities were replaced by what these organizations said my priorities should be. Mm. But then when I got so, I basically got angry and fed up with the control mechanism, with the abuses of the teachers and with the whole organizational thing. And I realized, wow, in these groups, the most important thing is the group, not the individual person. The only one who's going to be concerned about my path is me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I don't think spirituality can be like a cookie cutter thing where everyone yeah. has, goes down the same path. They all do the same practices. But anytime you join any spiritual group, um, that's what happens. It's, it's mass production of spirituality, right? Like we're all mm-hmm. going to do the same meditation. We're going to, do this and go to this next level together and receive the same teachings. And then there's no room for the individual development. Mm, wow. And I realized I, I had to leave and I even had to leave my identity as a Buddhist. And part of that came from when I started getting upset with my teachers and starting asking questions about the traditions I'd been part of, I started researching Buddhism on my own. And I really took a deep look and had to be honest with myself that Buddhism is an old tradition. It has spread throughout the world. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of different styles of Buddhism, each one unique. And they all have the basic thing of the four the four noble truths, mm-hmm. you know, the basic format. But on top of that, there's a lot of things that are unique to the culture, to the history and everything. And going back closer to the roots of Buddhism, you know, there was a time when Buddhism was starting to spread in India after the time of the Buddha. But then Buddhism was wiped out because the, um, you know, another culture, another religion came in and destroyed Buddhism in India. And so all those original teachings and all those original texts were destroyed. And they were only 
sort of carried on by the, the Buddhists that had spread to other parts of the world, to mm -hmm. Southeast Asia. So if we say, what is original Buddhism? We have to be honest and say, we don't really know 100%. Mm. And there are a lot of Buddhists right now who would probably be very angry to hear me say that, but we have to be honest. Maybe we have most of the teachings, but I don't think we have all of the teachings that were originally there. Mm. So I think that that leaves a lot of space there, that there are a lot of questions that maybe no one has the answers to in terms of Buddhist history today. Mm. And all of that for me is just a way of saying, you know what? I need to stop relying on what's written in some book somewhere and what somebody remembered 2000 years ago and passed on, you know, these teachings, just teaching it to one person to the next person over the generation. Did it change? Is it uh, affected by people's personalities, by discoveries they made? Maybe someone had a great realization or a great enlightenment but they were doing something that worked for them, but then they tell all their students to do the same thing, but maybe it doesn't work for them. Mm. For example, in some, you know, there's a Zen tradition based on the teachings of Bodhidharma, this person who sat in a cave for nine years staring at a wall. You know, they say, you know, he cut off his eyelids so that he would just stay awake and keep looking. Wow. You know? And then, so you have a tradition where people sit and look at a wall. And just they're there with their awareness, hoping that something cracks, you know, that mm. some enlightenment comes. Well, you know, why? Because it worked for this one person. Do we say that it will work for everybody? Mm. And that, I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, yeah. So I, don't want to I don't want to insult that tradition because maybe there are many people who have woken up or achieved enlightenment with that method. But what if someone spends 20 years doing that technique and nothing happens for them? Mm. And because of the power of tradition, because of the power of religion, they never had the courage or the inclination or the curiosity to just abandon it and go find a completely new way that works for them. Mm. I think that happens in many religions and traditions that you step into this form, you're born into it from your family or you choose it as an adult. And you do these techniques for 20 years, 30, 40 years and then you die and nothing ever happened. Mm. When maybe at, cer at a certain point you should have stopped and found a different way that works, you know? Mm. And it's tricky because it's, I think it's entirely possible to follow a spiritual teacher or a group or tradition. And because it feels like something is happening, maybe you get a special name or maybe mm. you wear special clothes or you have 10 books that have all the teachings and you memorize them. Maybe it feels like something is happening to you that you're developing or changing. Then maybe it's all on the surface and mm. all those deep questions are not actually being answered. Maybe you're not really changing that mm. because it feels like you are, especially because you're part of a social group now. Yeah. And that's a very powerful. It's kind of like now, now you belong, right? Like you, you fulfill that, that, that need to belong, to be part of a tribe, I guess, which is a very primal thing, belonging. Mm-hmm. Really, I think it might be part of our DNA or deep in our, in our memory because human beings, they survive in groups. If you get cast out from yeah. your group, you die. You know, you can't hunt alone. You can't grow crops alone. You can't survive alone. Humans need other humans to survive, and it's in our blood. And I think that transfers psychologically. If you belong in a group, you feel safe. You feel like you'll survive. You'll have food for the next season. 
you'll have people to have children with and continue your your DNA. Mm-hmm. And I think in a spiritual group, it's the same thing that you feel like you're doing the right thing. You're surrounded by people who believe the same things. So everything must be okay. So if you, if a person considers maybe, maybe it's not working for me, but, but I, I'm too scared to leave because if I leave this group, I'm by myself and maybe I won't survive. Mm. I mean, that's part of what happens with cults, right? You know, people, it's hard for them if they realize they're they're in a cult, if they decide to leave the cult, there's enormous, enormous social pressure for them to actually stay. Mm -hmm. Or if they get rejected by a cult. And it happened with all traditions, really. Like it happens. I I was looking at um, Mm. the commentary about the, the ultra-Orthodox Jewish in in New York, in Brooklyn, Uh, I I forgot the name, and and when they get out, basically they feel they they are so alienated that they don't know what to do with life because they've they've been part of this bubble, of this, Mm -hmm. it's it's almost like a cult, and and they're so afraid they don't even know how to interact with the world. And then we have Osho, and he has his community, and they all belong together, but were they getting any spiritual benefit? I don't know. Uh, We've seen Mm -hmm. some examples. Um, but um, I have, um, you were saying about the Buddhism because I really like the teachings. And even though, yeah, the books we get, who knows? It's, it's like Catholicism. Uh, the Bible was altered and many of the special manuscripts don't even show up in the, in the Bible. But uh, in Buddhism, they really talk about like always getting initiated by the master initiated. And I think... And for me, it's always been like something that draws me back. It's like, really, do I need to go for somebody to initiate me? Like, and that creates the whole pyramidal structure that we were talking mm-hmm. that then you need to either pay or offer all these offerings. As they talk about flowers and sacred incense, but now it's money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think it, it takes power from you and it gives the power to the guru or to the top uh, person in that, in that group. And that's why your teachings are so interesting because i think i i i have no experience with telekinesis or remote viewing or astral travel mm-hmm. maybe a little bit astral travel not consciously but i think that's those mm-hmm. are the, the skills that bring the power back to us so we can write our own uh sutra of love i guess absolutely i that you put that beautifully um and i agree with you completely the interesting thing about buddhism and even Christianity is they were both begun by people who left the tradition that they were part of. They realized that it didn't work for them. I'll just talk about the Buddha yeah. as an example. He grew up in a Hindu society and everything and, and definitely a society where there were gurus or you had to go get a blessing from a teacher or whatever. And at a certain point he left and he just decided to sit down by himself and look at his own mind and figure it out on his own. Mm-hmm. And then he woke up. And then people do what people do. He died and then it became a religion and an organization and a mm. tradition. So in Jesus, you know, he got he made his own discoveries and then he gets crucified and then his teachings become an organization, you know, social control and everything. And but it began by a person who left everything they knew and found their own way mm-hmm. looking within. And so telekinesis, lucid dreaming, out-of-body experiences, remote viewing, all these are activities of the mind that a person can, they can figure out on their own within that you don't have to go 
give money to a guru. You don't have to get a blessing from someone. You don't have to get, you don't have to give your personal power to somebody else to have these experiences. What you do need is uh, your own self-discipline because mm. they all take work, mm-hmm. a lot of curiosity. But I think I'll just speak for myself. What I needed and what I still need today, more than anything for me to continue working on these things and making new discoveries is a deep down desire to find that truth. Mm. When your I had my own, first, your own truth, right? Like my, your own mm-hmm. truth, which is very important to state because if you have stayed in the group, then you will have the group or the collective truth, but you were uh, looking for your own truth. Yeah. And it's, it's really important. That's a good point that it's my own truth that I found, because if I measure my results against what other people say or what other groups have, in many cases, I might think, Oh, I'm doing this wrong or I'm not having the right kind of experience. But with these things, they're very subtle experiences and it's very possible for any human being to have a, experience that nobody else has ever had Mm. for example with um a lot of people ask is there a difference between lucid dreaming and out-of-body experiences and i think sure in a black and white world yes there are two very different things one is a dream state and the other one is different that the Mm. the mind is separate from the physical body but in my actual experience i've i've had strange things happen where sometimes i'm having an out-of-body experience and a dream is happening in my consciousness at the same time. Oh, wow. I've also had lucid dreams where my consciousness splits into two different personalities, two versions of Sean in the same dream, and my consciousness is divided. So it's like being two people at the same time. And I don't hear a lot about that on YouTube or on Facebook groups. The first time or I hear this. Books, you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know, but if I, if I didn't have that sense of individuality and independence, if I was part of, maybe if I was part of some spiritual group and I said, Hey, I had this experience last night. They might say, Oh, you did it wrong. You did it wrong. Or that's yeah. not, su- that's not supposed to happen. Like forget about it and go back to what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. But because I'm an independent spiritual seeker, I don't have that limitation. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't even care who believes me or who doesn't believe me. You know, the only people I, I want who should be listening to this are those who also want to be independent. Mm. And so my stories are not meant to make them have the same experience. They're meant to inspire people to go and have their own well, unique have experience, their own experience, you know? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, um, so let's touch upon what happened when you were seven years old that you just mentioned that something happened uh, that created this uh, fear of death. Yeah. So this is the root of everything. For me, I remember going to school one day and my classroom was on the second or third floor of this building mm-hmm. and I was walking up the stairs and suddenly my stomach hurt and I was crawling up the stairs trying to get to my class and I just couldn't make it. And a teacher found me and took me to the nurse's office and then I get home and I'm in a lot of pain and finally we discovered that I had appendicitis. Mm-hmm. Go to the hospital and it ruptured as they were taking it out. You know, I was out. But we found out later on that it ruptured as they were taking it out of me. Mm-hmm. So I was very close to dying. Oh, wow. And I think, you know, on one hand, there was the pain of the experience because it was a couple of days before I had the surgery. Um, but then after the surgery, just realizing if it had ruptured while it was still inside of me before the surgery, I could have died. And, and, you were, and, you, and you were seven years old. So that was like seven years old. a big realization being seven. Like when you're seven people, I, I never even recall thinking 
I could die. Like that, that those thoughts don't usually come at that age. Yeah. So in a way, it's a, a scar in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, and then I really started paying attention in church because, you know, in church, there's that talk of the afterlife and heaven and hell and those kinds of things. So I really started paying attention <laughs> and having more questions as I grew up that, you know, that was always underneath, you know, is there an afterlife or when I die, is it all over? I mean, I remember times in college when I would just lay there in my, in my dorm room in the darkness, asking myself, what if there's no afterlife? And I would try and imagine in the darkness, I'd try and imagine dying, closing my eyes, no more breathing, and then complete annihilation of wow. me. And it was the most depressing. I bet. <laughs> and I would develop anxiety and depression and strange psychological states. And I only did it a few times and I decided I need to stop doing this because this could actually psychologically it could damage me. But it was really a frightening thing to consider. What if, I think, what if this is it? I, th- I think mm, I, I wouldn't like to say most, but I think many people I know uh, think that's what it's after, you know, I think that's what they envision that they feel that uh, this is the last thing they're going to be living that after dying, it's just pitch black and, and the abyssum or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting for people. I think for any adult who really believes that, you know, I want to have a conversation with them and say, do you really, really believe that? And then we'd ask, well, how, how are you living your life? And like, why do certain things matter to you? Does, does love, does love matter? Mm. Do laws matter? Why do you still follow certain laws? You know, or, well, maybe because you don't want to spend the rest of your life in jail. But, <laughs> but um, you know, you can generally find out what people truly believe by seeing where they spend their money, how they spend their time, mm-hmm. how they treat their bodies and their the, minds. Their friends. <laughs> but, yeah, do relationships so, matter? A- anybody listening to this um, after, well, you're still on this quest, but uh, throughout these years, what's, what's your answer to what happens when, when we die or when you will die? What, what will happen? Oh, there's consciousness continues. And I, I, you know, I I don't even like using the word soul or spirit that much Mm -hmm. because it has certain connotations, but consciousness continues. And it's not like suddenly, oh, I'm free of my body and I'm this enlightened spirit or anything. It's not because when I've, the times I've had out of body experiences, um, I'm still confused, Sean, you know, I still have my personal issues and, I think having an out-of-body experience is not the same thing as dying and continuing, you know, because I'm still connected to this body and my brain Mm -hmm. is still functioning. So a lot of the personality is in the brain, a lot of the subconscious functioning Mm -hmm. related with growing up and everything is connected to the brain and the human nervous system. So in the out-of-body experience, there's a blend of the current physical life, but then also our deeper non-physical consciousness and somehow they're still communicating because the body is still alive so it's not like suddenly i understand everything and all the universe secrets or anything like (laughs) that but uh it gives me the confidence that some at least half of me my Mm non-physical half will continue Mm. and then whatever's associated with my physical brain including subconscious tendencies 
mostly needed for moving my body or making very quick decisions on, in the physical world, that dies. Mm. It's some part of me, a de- I think a deeper part of me, that invisible, non-physical aspect of mind goes on. Mm. And I don't, it's not a permanent thing. It's not unchanging. It's constantly changing and growing. And maybe it gets softer and maybe it, other parts dissolve over time or maybe mm-hmm. it changes or maybe it finds a new physical form, which a lot of people would call reincarnation. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know for sure. You know, I, these days I'm very careful with what do I believe versus what have I experienced. Mm. So I, I think reincarnation is a possibility. I don't think it's required <laughs> for everybody. You know, there's some spiritual traditions that say everybody gets reincarnated as soon as they die. Well, I don't know if that's true. Maybe it's a choice. I don't know if it's automatic, you know. Well, obviously in, Bo- in, in Buddhism, Buddhism every, they talk about know? that you shall break through your practice the cycle of, of birth and death and all that. Yeah. And they have the view like birth and death as a, a source of suffering and that's why you want to break it but i know other spiritual traditions that are not religious they're just spiritual where they say actually the soul chooses to chooses, be reborn yeah. because they see human life as a school or an education mm-hmm. and so it's a choice and it's in that way it's an honor and a privilege to find a human body to grow up and so you can learn and, and experience suffering. So suffering is not necessarily a bad thing. It's yeah. actually necessary to make new discoveries and to learn and grow as a soul. Mm. So there's two different perspectives. Is, is suffering bad or good? Is there something or, to be or, avoided? Or, or, or even seeing life as a suffering for, for many being in this world is the most beautiful gift in life and it's not suffering and, and it's not a, punishment for our karmas or whatever mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> for some it might be dessert after a thousand lifetimes maybe they come back because they just want to celebrate and mm-hmm. enjoy and have fun who knows yeah but that's i think the key point is it's different for everybody that these experiences serve different purposes for different people and so to say that it's any one thing i think it's very 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 limited style mm. of thinking you know it can be different mm. for everybody well so. Mm, thanks um so let's get to the uh magic you know when when i was reading uh your your bio i was like man it uh it seems like uh you are uh like a a superhero coach you know like you can mm. you can show people how to do telekinesis lucid dreaming out of body experience and use their psychic abilities to to work through that uh, and do remote viewing i was like man like anybody that can learn those techniques uh, it's, i'm pretty sure well off at least most and um, better than most people that don't have these uh, mm. skills. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the first time I heard about remote viewing, it was, um, uh, I used to watch many, uh, conspiracy like m- videos and I don't know, like whatever channel, YouTube channels. And I heard mm-hmm. about the Stargate, uh, program. Uh, mm-hmm. could you give us some information about that? Sure. The, Stargate is a code name for one of the government programs in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's not the first one. There were programs that came before it and programs after it. But that's a popular yeah. one that, that most people know about. But basically in the 1970s, um, there was a group of physicists and scientists who worked with psychics. For example, Ingo Swan was 
perhaps the first psychic that they were working with. He was an artist. He was also a very psychic person and they did a lot of psychic experiments and he got bored very quickly with, you know, what's, what's on this paper. He said, I'm bored. I want to do something different. Can you send someone in the city? Don't tell me where they are and I'll see, I'll see where they are. And they realized that he could do it and that other people could learn how to do that. And they realized that perhaps because of the cold war, perhaps governments like the Soviet union were using this for spying. And so these people talked to the government. And so the United States started putting money into these programs to train American psychics to, you know, not, I don't want to say just to spy, but to, to find things. For example, they found aircraft that have gone missing. Uh, they found, for example, submarines, new submarines being built in the Soviet Union. So gaining information mm. across thousands of miles across time, they could also look into the future and the past. But the fun, the funny thing is they weren't out there hiring psychics. You know, for example, the, the first official psychic program, the remote viewer number one, his name is Joe McMonagall. And mm -hmm. they found him because he was in the army and he was really good at surviving. He fought in Vietnam. And he led a lot of troops there. And what they found by doing their research was that some troop leaders, they led by their gut instinct, you know, mm -hmm. when to stop, when to move forward, when yeah. to duck, what kind of decisions to make. Sometimes you don't have physical information. Uh, you have to go with your gut feeling. Mm -hmm. And he was one of those people who had a very good gut feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so they interviewed him and started working with him and found out that he was very good at this. And then after him, they found other people through the army or other armed forces or government agencies who had a natural ability. And then they found people who they just said, let's just try it with you. People who never claimed to be psychic, but they needed to do um, scientific research. So they needed a control person. Mm. And so they would pick people who had no experience of being psychic and they would teach them the technique and they found out that they could do it too. Mm. And so they discovered that actually this is a human thing. Now, some people are naturally better. And if they train, they can just become more constant or have constant success with it. And some people are not so good, like any sport. Yeah. Anyone can learn how to play tennis, but not everybody's going to be Andre Agassi. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. Okay, okay. But it, it same, was a possibility for everybody. Okay, well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what I found myself in teaching this to people. Um, they don't have to believe in it. They just do the technique and sometimes they get very interesting results. Mm. So, and some people are naturally better than others. I'm actually not that great at it. Mm. <laughs> I think my, my super skill is just teaching people how to look at their mind. I'm not particularly super psychic or anything. I just train a lot, but my, my joy and my skill is to help people train themselves. So Mm. it's not like I, i'm not a super remote viewer or anything like that i can do it but sometimes sometimes i fail completely i mean everybody does too but um i've seen i've yeah. seen on facebook that there's uh i think a few groups of remote viewing and i think they do challenges like uh they 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 do i don't know like they hide something and everybody has to try to find it and i, I just find that it looks like the, the league of superhumans <laughs> around the world mm -hmm. you know? Honestly, I see what yeah. they're doing. I'm like, okay, they're looking for these kind of things. I don't know what's their spiritual development. Maybe they're mm -hmm. 
doing the remote viewing while uh, waiting in the line for McDonald's. So I don't know because <laughs> <laughs> so well, it, does, it doesn't include spirituality with remote viewing, but it's a really uh, yeah. awesome skill. Yeah. Well, what, one thing I've heard from the about the original remote viewers and others is that along the way they discover certain spiritual principles within themselves, you know, that they notice that, Oh, this means that we are truly connected to each other on a very mm -hmm. deep level. And so sometimes some of them would be invited to get trained where they would be asked, you know, can you kill, can you kill an animal with your mind? Oh. Can you kill a person with your mind? And they would say, that's as far as I go, I'm out, you know? Oh. So I've heard stories like that. And, and I think it's because I realize we're connected here. I can't keep, I can't do this to hurt someone because in a way on a profound level, if we do this, then we're hurting ourselves. I can definitely see that the government trying to push uh, any psychic. Uh, oh, so you can go there. Can you try to like uh, <laughs> strangle somebody else? Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's creepy at the same time. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. technique, but it could be, it could be creepy. Yeah. So, so for us, let's say, uh, what would be the benefits of remote viewing for somebody that wants to learn that is not looking into getting into the Soviet Union or the or Russia, <laughs> or Russia now? <laughs> right. Well, I think a, a, a large part of it is the spiritual development. That mm -hmm. The more you do this, the more you really see that we are connected to other people mm -hmm. and especially people who you love or you care about. Family members have a strong bond to each other. So there's so many stories about a mother making dinner in the kitchen one night and her son is at war mm -hmm. and, and she just knows that he just got hurt mm -hmm. or attacked or, or killed. You know, the mother just knows or mothers and fathers knowing that their child is in school and they're having a, they just have a feeling that their child is struggling mm -hmm. in college. So they call them and, and they find out that, yeah, something is going on. You know, sometimes my, my mom calls me to figure out what's going on because she had a, a dream about me and, and sometimes she's pretty accurate. So I think it just gives people confidence and trust that mm -hmm. we, we are more than just these individual separate physical hot dogs, yeah. you know, these ba skin bag of bags, bones. Yeah. This bag of bones, you know, that we really are connected. So it's a spiritual practice that reinforces the principle mm -hmm. that we are interconnected on a mental level or on a non-physical level. So it's just seeing the example over and over again. And then I think we start to treat people differently when we realize that on some level we're one or that mm. we're connected, you know? Mm. So mm. for me, that's the most important aspect of this work is just showing ourselves, reminding ourselves, because most of the time we act as if we're separate mm -hmm. and then we get aggressive or we get impatient or angry or we, you know, look at the world, you know, I live in the United States Americans have all the physical material enjoyments of the world. We eat all the food, <laughs> we have all the entertainment, but we are one of the most stressed out, depressed and isolated social groups oh, on yeah. the planet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have it all, but we have nothing. We have nothing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we, we just accentuated our sense of separateness. If we, we're so scared of being dependent on each other that we've disconnected from each other mm. and that's so sad mm. you know and it's spreading it's spreading like wildfire all over uh, mexico canada europe everywhere i think uh, we're just building bigger walls and fortresses to to to, to create more separation and to really uh, 
mark our we are so individual that we're not connected at the same time mm-hmm. there's this uprising of uh spirituality i think uh and that's why remote viewing was uh so uh, relevant for me because i was reading uh information and let me see if i get it right it's about really learning how to be an observer without judgment no because i think i was reading that once you start judging uh the situation that's when you lose it right so it's about like only observing and being it all and i think that's almost the goal of meditation right or, mm-hmm. or one of the it's, it is mm-hmm. it is very meditative actually the way i teach it I, I use a little bit of meditation for that because the mind has different aspects to it mm-hmm. and we have our subconscious mind that, that is very connected to everything out there and then the conscious mind and so when information is passing up from the subconscious mind up to the conscious, our conscious mind really likes to put meaning to everything and try to organize the information coming up, which is difficult because so much of our thinking is based on our own memories, our own history and everything. So we construct ideas that could be wrong or off base or we're very judgmental and we get some information and then our judgments make it an idea that's inaccurate. So with remote viewing, we need to train ourselves to receive the data, the subconscious data, maybe colors or shapes mm-hmm. or information. And then we have to record it without going through the filter of our ego or our personality. Because mm-hmm. once the personality takes the information, it'll it just needs to put it into certain boxes to understand it, that it could be really, really far off here. I mean, And that's another spiritual aspect to it, that sometimes we don't see a person in front of us for who they really are. Instead, we're seeing our version of that person. We're projecting on them. So with remote viewing, we need to avoid projecting onto the data that we're receiving in our mind. Remove the projection and just work with the pure information. And then if we can do that in real life, when we're having a conversation with someone, when we're having conflict with someone or we need to understand someone we need to be able to tell the difference between what's really happening Mm. and what our mind thinks is happening because they're two very different things discernment yeah that's it's discernment yeah really interesting wow so Mm -hmm. that's remote viewing uh telekinesis what what's telekinesis sure so some people know that by the name psychokinesis but i like the word telekinesis because the people who do it instead of study the ones who do it use that word more especially the kids around the world but tele you know implies distance or an extension and then kinesis implies movement so movement over distance whereas psychokinesis implies mind and movement this brings me the name uri geller every time i hear mm-hmm. this like i remember like when i was a kid watching videos of uri geller yeah he's the perfect example of it and he's the one that really brought this into the public mm-hmm understanding and public awareness because he would go on television or go and do performances and he would do you know he the spoon bending he made that famous but he's also known for teleporting objects uh there are a lot of things he can do Uh, i've been i've never met him or anything i've just read books about him i've seen him on youtube and things like that but he he has a wide variety of experiences that he can reproduce So he made that famous in the 1970s and this terrible thing happened because one night he went on the Johnny Carson show Mm -hmm. and the agreement was he was just going to go there to chat. But then they surprised him with a test 
And so they set up some things for him to use his psychic abilities on, and he was not prepared and he was not warned. And it was basically a trap. And from what I know from my own experience with telekinesis and remote viewing and everything, is that stress and tension or feeling aggression from other people is really bad for psychic ability. You know, the, the psychic person or any human being doesn't perform well under mm-hmm. negative pressure. Mm-hmm. And so here he is on national television and suddenly they put this test out there and he didn't, he didn't do very well at all. And that basically destroyed his reputation. I think it's character assassination that they did to him. Mm. It was just, you know, he failed once, but he failed on television. So then everybody who wanted to tear him down, suddenly they had fuel to do that. They had Mm. ammunition to do that. And they, they, the funny thing is there are many instances when he would do things on television. For example, he would affect people's watches or bend silverware. And people across America would go to their kitchen and the spoons in their drawers would be bent or if they had a watch that was broken, the watch would start working again automatically just from watching him on television. Oh, wow. And this happened to thousands and thousands of people. But then after the one time he failed on the Johnny Carson show, it's as if everybody forgot yeah. all the times that he was successful. Mm-hmm. The human consciousness is a fickle creature. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's very, very sad. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I experience aggression every day on the internet from people who don't want to believe what they see. They just want to downplay it. They think it's a magical trick or something like that. They just refuse to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it always has to do with someone's upbringing, their religion, or maybe they think that they're being scientific, but that's not science. That's called scientism. Well, they're basically... They're doing the opposite mm-hmm. of remote viewing. They're projecting all their fears and all their, uh, mm-hmm. uh, excuse my French, all their shit into your uh, video, mm-hmm. for example. So they start bringing out things that they don't like about themselves by watching your video. But yeah, that trolls mm-hmm. and such, uh, they're plentiful nowadays. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really sad because I, what I try and say is, you do it as soon as you do it that's the best evidence yeah and you can do it anyone who has doubts about this take a chance and dedicate several weeks or months to trying any of these abilities learn the technique and practice it and you will succeed if you don't give up Mm. which is another main point of all these techniques that we've talked about is it all has to do with trying 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 working 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 and never giving up people hate discipline Right. And I think it's an old, and I believe uh, it will be also like a exercise of trusting your own potential. No, not not letting only uh, yourself or somebody else and YouTube doing the the magic tricks, but also trusting that you can do this. Uh, you can acquire these abilities, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because then that's a lesson for life. That if you can learn, let's say, if you can teach yourself to do telekinesis and t- you're able to move an object with your mind or your energy. What does that mean about the rest of your life? Maybe you want to start a new business and it requires the same thing that trying, trying and not giving up and going through the struggle and the doubt and believing in yourself. Mm. Or maybe you're in a bad relationship and you need to break up with your partner, but you're scared Mm. that you have to take that chance and believe that a better life is available for you and for your partner if the relationship ends. 
I mean, these are extreme examples, but I think everybody faces these extreme, issues, but right? yeah, extreme, but very real and um, very, yeah. uh, um, it happens almost every day to some human being in the world. So yeah. uh, the other one will be astral traveling and out of body, which you already explained that they're different out of body and astral traveling, astral traveling. I'm really interested in this one because um, I've always thought that uh, dream state is as real as the awake state. Uh, it's just that we close our eyes and we probably leave this physical body and we go on, a, on another journey. Um, what is astral traveling for you? Okay. So I just want to clarify because I think we're using the terms differently because earlier I was talking about lucid dreaming and yeah. out-of-body experience. Exactly. Is that what yeah. you're talking about? Okay. Yeah. So, so lucid dreaming is your, your brain is dreaming. Mm. It's in the REM stage yeah. of sleep. Except you, re you realize that you're dreaming while the dream is happening. Mm -hmm. So, for example, right now, if someone is watching this program, if they're watching, mm -hmm. watching your show, and they realize that the show and them is actually in their dream, and they're actually asleep in bed right now, that it's as if they're awake. That's a lucid dream. But it's, their mind is in the body. The brain is doing what it does several times a night, going into the REM stage. Mm -hmm. So it goes through different cycles of sleep through mm -hmm. the night and every yeah. cycle includes one and they're there An out of body experience also known as astral That's travel. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, that means that the mind, which is not the same as the brain, but the mind has actually changed its position from thinking it's inside the body to outside the body. So you're experiencing reality from a different perspective. Now, astral travel, the word astral has to do with the stars, right? And I think a lot of people refer to that meaning that you leave the body and you travel among the stars or something like that. But in my experience, the out-of-body experience is more than just going up to the stars. You can leave and then you seem to be in your bedroom or in your apartment or your house, or you can leave and, it's, and I've left and it seems like I'm in... Uh, an afterlife place where people go soon after they die, sort of like a waiting area. Mm -hmm. I've been to that kind of place. I've also been to other areas that seem like planet earth, like a city, but I'm pretty sure it's not planet earth. Mm -hmm. It might be planet earth, maybe at a different time in history, mm -hmm. or maybe it's a parallel universe. Mm -hmm. That's very similar to planet the earth. Multiverse. Yeah. The multiverse. I've also left my body and gone down the street and then suddenly I'm in no place. Something, some people call it the void. The void. And there's, there are no characteristics. It's just nothingness but my awareness, which can be um, troubling <laughs> or a little confusing. I'll just mm. say that. I don't, I don't mm. want to say anything frightening, but it's a little bit disconcerting to be in a place where there's no reference point. Yeah. And it shows me when I had that experience, it showed me that there is no objective reality. <clears throat> Every person's experience of being alive is based on, <clears throat> excuse me. Every person's experience of being alive, whether they're asleep or dreaming or having an out-of-body experience, it's all based on relationship to space, to objects, to all sorts of reference points, even to things within the mind. Mm -hmm. We all have to find our place in reality and it's based off of things. So there's no objective 
reality anywhere except possibility. Mm-hmm. So I've left, you know, I left the body and I had these different kinds of out-of-body experiences. But it doesn't mean that I'm dreaming. It means that I'm just separate from my ordinary physical relationship to mm-hmm. to life. But I'm definitely out there and my body is here. Mm-hmm. I tell people it's so strange. It's like walking through a door and then you turn and look behind you and there's your body over there that you, your essence is here. Wow. And some people, when they leave their body, for me, usually I still see things as if I have eyes, mm-hmm. but I don't have, my eyes are back in my body. But some people, they can see 360 degrees. Um, when I, the first time I left my body, I was like this invisible blob coming out of my body. And instead of floating away, like, a lot of people on YouTube talk about like you just float away. I actually, I was like a big blob <laughs> coming out of my body and I went down on the ground and I was stretching across my living room floor because I was on my couch, I was stretching across the carpet and I was invisible. I looked and it, there was not, it was, I was just this blob mm-hmm. of awareness. And I looked back and I saw my body laying on the couch and it felt like half of me was still stuck. Like my legs were still stuck mm-hmm. to my physical legs. But I realized what was happening because I've been training. I trained for 13 weeks to have my first out-of-body experience. I trained mm-hmm. every day, very hard. And I did it. But I looked back and I was so excited. And just like that, I was back inside my physical body. And then I just opened my eyes. I was like, I did it. And in that moment, my fear of death that I had ever since I was seven years old, was gone completely gone wow what a revelation yeah it was it was amazing just psychologically the fear of death was absolutely gone and the other benefit was at that time i was still part of one of those spiritual groups where the teacher was very Mm -hmm. abusive and controlling and everything but making this discovery for myself gave me the inner strength to say goodbye Mm. to that teacher until i had that moment i was too scared to leave because mm. I thought maybe he has the answers and I need to stay with him to get the answers from mm-hmm. him. As soon as I had this discovery at my first out-of-body experience, well, I was basically able to say, <laughs> no, I, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it felt like that. I was like, I was like, I'm done. I'm free. I can find the answers for myself. I don't need to give my personal power to anybody else ever again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I know if I try hard enough, if I train regularly, I, all the answers are within me. And every time I see a human being out there, I know that they have their answers inside of them. Mm. And the question every person needs to ask is, are you going to give your power to someone else to try and get the answers from somewhere outside of you? Or are you going to dedicate yourself to looking inside yourself? Cause the answers are already there. Mm. Everybody has to make that choice mm. or not. You well, could just yeah. live life and not make the choice and just yeah. enjoy life. You know, whatever what that means for you so. mm-hmm. yeah. and i think and i think people uh you know uh, i also do retreats and i and i see that people everybody wants change but they're so afraid of really putting the hours the 13 weeks you put into doing your astral mm-hmm. travel and um, plus mm-hmm. the research that probably took you to starting those 13 weeks uh i think mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't like saying human nature is to be lazy but i think it's uh, it's a s- strong quality that we inherit uh, due to our mm-hmm. environment and we always choose mm-hmm. that path of least resistance. So if we can delegate our power and knowledge to a, 
a figure on a, on a podium or somewhere, someone that has power regarding health, mm-hmm. uh, food choices and our own health. It's easier to go for a pill that somebody gives you than going out every morning and running 30 minutes, you know, or sitting in a satsang circle, having somebody tell you what being enlightenment feels because they're enlightened and you shall wait for your moment and come back 13 lives later and maybe you can experience that. But I think that's why these practices are so uh, rewarding and it's amazing to hear your story how for you it, it, it was, it was a, it's a beginning of, of a new era of liberation from the spiritual community and the beginning of many new things. Yeah, it's, it's ironic, right? There's no, there's no app that can make you have telekinesis. There's no app to give you an out-of-body experience. You yeah. can't push a button and have it. But at the same time, technology... For now, for now. Let's, say, let, let's say for now. <laughs> for now. Yeah. Maybe they do like yeah. waypoints that you like, if you can astral travel to a certain point, it will click in the, in the cell phone or <laughs> something because maybe, they're yeah. doing a lot of things with the I'm, meditation apps, Muse and, and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. They can help you train your mind yeah. for sure. But there's no instant... The only way to instantly leave your body is to die or to have a near-death experience, right? But, the, but that's, even, 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 I would say, I don't know, if, um, do you have any experience with uh, plant medicine? No, but I totally, I should have mentioned that too, yeah. that that is another way to do it there's, without because, killing yourself, right? Yeah, there, yeah. there's, uh, when you were saying that you went to this void, um, uh, there's this uh, medicine I, 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 I I, I use, you know, and I facilitate, which is the Bufo, the 5-MeO-DMT. And, yeah. and the difference uh, from ayahuasca or other, that it takes away duality. So there's no longer you. So people mm-hmm. basically, they all, everybody has a different experience, but they all come with the same message that they died. And they say that it was very scary at the beginning because they were in this void. They said there was, there was no me. There was not even feelings mm-hmm. of me or fear. I couldn't even fear because... There's no me, and they, and even Michael Pollan, who recently uh, wrote wrote a book um, uh, regarding um, regarding uh, how to change your mind, psychedelics and such. He says um, that um, uh, it's he cannot tell you the story because there was no background and there was nothing to relate, so it was complete dissolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing that people have that kind of experience. And in a way it's sort of like the lar- the bigger death, the spiritual death, you know, mm-hmm. it's not complete annihilation, but it's something else. It's beyond words. Mm-hmm. You really cannot. And I've heard that from other people and I've had experiences like that, that you cannot put into language. You cannot put into words. We're, we're not meant to be yeah. sharing those things with words. It's, words are just too small. Nah. Yeah. Way too small. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I guess it even happens. You know, when people ask you, so what does it feel to astral travel? It's like, dude, you, you have to join me on, a, on a, an astral travel journey because how can you share this with somebody with uh, intellectual words, I guess? Right. It, and really, the words are just, they give people more ability to just deny it and deny say that's it. not real. Mm-hmm. But luckily, it, and that is the hard thing. I think that's why these things take time is because, for example, when I was training to have my first out-of-body experience, or training to do telekinesis. It took me two and a half months every day training to move the object of my mind before the first time. And the reason both of these for me it took so long is because it's something I'd never experienced before. You know, it's it's these are experiences that normally a human never or rarely has consciously. Like 
So for example, we all know what chocolate tastes like. We all know what oranges taste like mm -hmm. or what beer tastes like. Can you imagine tasting a flavor that you have never tasted before? No. Even if someone tries to use words to tell you what the flavor is like, I, I you don't know what that tastes that, like. The right? only thing I could compare to that would be, uh, have you ever had durian? Which it grows a lot. <laughs> <in> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, um, I know what it smells like. It's, yeah, so, it's so people, I, well, it's, it smells really different, but trying to explain to somebody what it uh, tastes, and people give that face because they've never tried. It's such a uh -huh. mind-boggling experience that they're like, I don't even know what to reference this. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that, that's what these experiences are like, that they have no reference until yeah. they actually have the experience and then they know exactly. It's like losing your virginity. Yeah. It's when you're a child or a teenager, it's, it's like a legend. Oh, losing, yeah. having sex for the first time, it's amazing. And you're trying to have this experience that you don't actually know what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Only people who've had it have that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the way with spirituality and with these experiences, you don't, get the knowledge until you have the experience and until then it's a matter of faith that you're training every day or training several times a week trusting that something will happen at the end and then you'll have the knowledge and the experience and i think and i think that's a key element what you just mentioned that we've been way too long trusting on faith and relying on faith giving our power due to that faith oh because you have to just surrender to Jesus Christ or, or surrender to Buddha, which is totally fine, surrendering to any of those. Mm -hmm. But we're in a time of experiencing. I think there's too much intellectual knowledge and there's too, too many books, but we're mm -hmm. lacking the experience. That's why plant medicine or the skills you're, you're sharing are so valuable because people are looking for something tangible to experience. They're, they're, we're tired of just knowing. We want to, we want to experience every single cell wants to vibrate to that uh, intelligence, I guess. Yeah. But hearing you say that reminds me of a, uh, a thing I saw on Facebook recently. It was about, um, uh, what are those goggles people wear for the uh, artificial uh, reality? Virtual, virtual reality, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, this one was a joke. And so they had the lens <laughs> cut out. It was just cardboard. Like, oh, actual reality. <laughs> you know, so I was walking around like, He's actually going to experience by touching and you know it's kind of a joke on and this thing that we we're so into artificial reality or virtual reality but that's just information it's not actual real experience so i think people are very thirsty for the real experience can, can i share can i share something now that you mentioned that i was listening to uh, elon musk and he's mentioned it a couple of times already he mentioned it on uh, joe rogan and then in a symposium i'm thinking saudi arabia or something the emirates which is really creepy in a sense. Um, he's talking about virtual reality, saying that we're very close to be able to experience virtual reality to a point that we don't know that is virtual reality. Mm. And mm -hmm. he says this with, with a face that when you see his face, you know that he's dead serious. He's not joking. Mm -hmm. he, and he knows. If somebody knows about, has an insight about the technology that's happening in the world, it's him. And he's like telling this uh, sheik or prince in Saudi Arabia, like, oh, we, the technology is there. We're, steps away from virtual reality which you won't be able to defer if you're in virtual reality and if you spend a week with those goggles you won't know that, that you were a week on virtual reality you know mm -hmm. um which is really creepy and at the mm -hmm. same time i was like well technology is growing fast but he also said what makes us think that we never had this 
technology before. And this is the creepy part that what we're living now is not part of that virtual reality. So, mm-hmm. so it's just a, it's just a little note there. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, he's basically implying that we might be in the matrix right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know? And so everyone, it's a great question. It, it brings up a lot of things. For example, it brings up the question of, are we using ethics when we're making technological discoveries mm-hmm. or innovations? Should we, develop in this way it's just a question that i'm asking the other one is you know everyone needs to ask for themselves when you buy a virtual reality app or when you do something like that you're making a choice Mm -hmm. what kind of life do you want to have you could spend the next 40 years in a virtual experience which we don't even need the internet for people ever since the invention of the television people have been killing themselves just by sitting and watching Mm-hmm. tv every day you, they have no more life they just go to their job they come home they watch tv and then they die and mm-hmm. that was their life mm-hmm. and now we have the same thing with with iphones and yeah. you know, smartphones and computers and everything so everyone has to make the choice we could talk about the direction society is going but at the end of the day for you or me i have to decide today am i going to live a human life or am i going to live an electronic life mm. And I think, and I think it's because people are, as we were saying before, they're looking for this awesome experiences, you know, awesome stories to, to, to live through and whatever. And I think these tools that you share are those things that remind us that we are supernatural, that we don't need to buy virtual reality. Maybe even mm-hmm. though we're inside a virtual reality thing happening already, I don't know. I'm not going to go into that, but at least mm-hmm. by learning these skills, we can start living our life like superhumans through breath, through meditation, through astral traveling, through telekinesis. Even if you just move a little tinfoil paper, like I've seen in the videos of your course, but that's mm-hmm. big. It's just trusting that you have the power to do that within. It was what? How long did the the people in your video were training for? Like evening session? Oh, two hours. Two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Two Imagine hours they spend a year training they could probably move mountains as the saying mm-hmm. has always been so um, mm-hmm. um why don't you tell us a little bit uh, what people can expect in 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 your courses uh, any of the courses mm-hmm. sure so i have my online courses for telekinesis and that goes step by step for learning how to sm- move small objects like tin boiler paper under a glass container so by the end of the course you can stand 10 feet away and using the technique, move the object inside, which really shows that there's some aspect of consciousness that is not limited by, by space. And let's say distance. that that simple can't yeah. physically move except by consciousness because it's, mm-hmm. there's no, no wind, no nothing can alter yeah, nothing. movement, right? Yeah, right. When you're up close, you might say, oh, is it heat? Is it static? Whatever, all those questions. But I teach you step-by-step step how to get further and further away mm-hmm. and still control it. You can tell because the way you breathe affects your energy in your body. Mm-hmm. And then that affects the movement reflects what's happening inside of your mind and your mm-hmm. body, which is a principle. Anyone who knows Tai Chi or Qigong, things like that, it's the same principles or energy healing, same mm-hmm. principles mm-hmm. there. And then I have courses for, yeah, if you want to have lucid dreams and out-of-body experiences, there are several techniques that people could choose and practice every day because all of that is about training your mind to be conscious at a certain level while your body falls asleep. So as soon as your body falls asleep, if your mind is still consciously activated or you've set um, some training and motion in your mind, 
then you'll have these experiences and you'll be able to separate from your body. Um, would, and would, that, the would that training, that, that training for astral uh, traveling even work for somebody like me? Because when I fall asleep, I'm like, they can come into my house, they can rob everything, they can leave my room empty and I will still be asleep. Like I, I just lose complete consciousness in a sense. Like I just like drift off. Will it, will it work for somebody like me? Well, you probably have to just train regularly mm -hmm. uh, and work with your sleeping patterns, but it's very much about using your intention so mm -hmm. that you will allow your body to still fall deeply asleep, that some part of you stays awake. Mm -hmm. And you train yourself to recognize certain, there's energetic sensations that mm -hmm. happen right mm -hmm. before you separate. Mm -hmm. And so just the desire, and, and that's the big thing is the intention, intention is, for all of these, intention is number one. And if you... If you say tonight, I'm going to begin my training. My goal is to leave my physical body consciously. Mm -hmm. Then some part of your mind is going to start watching what happens mm -hmm. at night. And for a long time, maybe you just wake up and go, I sort of have a memory of being conscious. Or maybe I felt some strange sensations in my body last night. Mm -hmm. You know, or some things like that. And it builds up over time. What's important with a lot of this, with lucid dreaming and out of body, is keeping a journal every night. Uh, with lucid dreaming, you want to journal your dreams to help you remember more dreams, mm -hmm. and then it keeps your intention strong. With out-of-body experiences, when you'll actually start dreaming more. Everything increases when you train. Mm -hmm. That's the thing is you open one door in the mind for all these abilities. Oh, wow. So if you get better at lucid dreaming, you might also start to be able to do telekinesis very easily. Oh, wow. Or you train for out-of-body experience, your lucid dreaming ability might increase naturally. Oh, wow. So you might start having more dreams or more lucid dreams as you're trying to have an out-of-body experience and you record it all in your journal every night and your intention is getting stronger and stronger and your commitment is getting stronger and all of that will lead to your success. It's so much about the heart. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's not for lazy, scared people. It's, <laughs> it's for those with a desire with that you have to have it. You want to have it. And it, which is a difficult feeling to maintain. You have to just keep building on it. Mm. So building rituals, I don't mean art of fake rituals. I mean real rituals, like using a journal every night is a ritual. Mm -hmm. Or writing down affirmations mm -hmm. before you, you fall asleep at night. Like, I will leave my body tonight over and over mm -hmm. again. It's programming your own mind. Mm -hmm. So that when you fall asleep, the program is still running. And then you separate from your body mm -hmm. consciously. So, so intention is number one with all these things. And even with meditation, you have to know why you're meditating. With my meditation course, it's basically about achieving a state of peace and relaxation, psychologically and physically, because the body and mind are together. Sometimes people say, I want to meditate. And you ask them, well, what, what's your goal? And they say, I don't know. I just heard it's good. Well, that doesn't work. You need to know what, yeah. what do you want? You need purpose. A, you have to be like purpose. purpose. Yeah. 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 Where do you want to go? Because mm -hmm. your mind, your mind will take you there. Mm -hmm. And again, this goes back to relationships and jobs, career, or how much money you want to have someday. We know this from the Harvard studies and other psychological studies that people who write down their goals I think 70% more likely to succeed and reach their goal because they wrote it down on a piece yeah. of paper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Same thing with all these techniques. When you use a dream journal or an OBE journal or anything like that, or write down what your goals are, you're far more likely to succeed mm. by keeping track, by writing it down. And that's just wow. how we're wired.
Well, so, amazing. How how long are the courses? Uh, more or less? Well, they're so. Let's see. The, they all have a lot of videos, but you could watch the the telekinesis videos. I think there are about 30 or 40 videos there. You could watch them all in one day. They're pretty short, and it's about practicing every day. Mm -hmm. So you, you might practice for a few days before you have your first success. Some people, their very first day on their own, just watching the videos will succeed. Some people need a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. it depends on your ability to relax, because that also requires a meditative state. And all these techniques, you know, I have, I have a recordings there to help get you in the state, almost like hip hypnosis because mm -hmm. it's not about the conscious mind it's mm -hmm. about the subconscious mind mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. what taps all the energy that's involved so how do we get into that deeper level of ourselves while we're awake and conscious mm -hmm. practice 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 and they're all very relaxing mm. so it's very enjoyable actually mm. i bet yeah. i bet yeah very rewarding awesome well it's uh so much information here <laughs> it's a and, lot. Uh, yeah, it's a lot. And uh, I'll definitely um, uh, let me finish with one uh, last question. So, from what you've experienced, uh, near death experience almost, like almost dying from appendicitis, and, uh, and uh, being in communities, spiritual communities that were more like profit driven or, 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 or guru driven to where you are now. Um, if you had one minute on national TV or worldwide TV, all the channels tuning into you right now, and you have one minute to share one, a simple message that everybody could uh, benefit from, what would it be? Love is the way. Because love is a sense of relaxation and connection and recognizing that we're all the same, that we're all one. And we all want to be happy. And if you do everything with love, you'll, you'll reach your goals. You'll find your truth. You'll respect other, we'll respect each other and let everyone find their own way because we'll trust each other. Mm. So love and trust. And then it removes all the aggression, all the violence, all the anger. But it also accepts all this pain and suffering that happened too. We have to remember that we learn from our suffering. Mm. and that's a form of love too that kind of acceptance mm. but even though it seems all this stuff means seems psychic or mystical or everything like that at the basis is love is love you, you actually learn to love more when you learn these abilities mm. I bet. you can't help it because you see oh we're all connected to all the animals to the planet to mm. the universe of course mm -hmm. you know so love 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 is the way <laughs> Awesome. Uh -huh. Well, thank yeah. you very much. Uh, it's been uh, uh, super interesting and uh, definitely lots of uh, content to re-listen, re-watch, and, uh, and definitely very inclined uh, about learning more about your courses. I'll add yeah. a link to your website on the description. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're going to have another conversation down the road because I think this is just, just the beginning of uh, astral traveling and telekinesis and remote viewing in our in our. Mm -hmm in our podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care.